Welcome, everybody, to Mormons on Mushrooms. Uh, just a reminder that this is a storytelling podcast where we discuss alternative methods for healing from trauma and seeking a more fulfilling life. A lot of times on the podcast, we discuss triggering topics, and we ask that you make your personal mental health top priority. Uh, lastly, the opinions offered by our guests don't necessarily reflect the opinions of the hosts. Sit back, buckle up, and enjoy. Oh, man, that was fun. So this one highlights for me, Doug, how I wish we could just do all these in person. Yeah, dude, I honestly, yeah, that's so true. Like the one, the, the, the two that you and I have done in person with each other are like my, among my favorites because we just feed off each other's energy. And then the two of you being the two of you being together in person, I was so jealous. I was like, oh, man, I want to be there with them and we could be like laughing and joking and carrying on and that the, the conversation probably would have gone on all night right yeah i mean oh for sure i mean we would have gotten drinks afterwards and just kept it going because it's uh there's just a, like a fluidity that happens i mean i think you know obviously we we flow in the podcast but there's something there's a magic to being in person and maybe it was just a magic of being in uh jess's presence that highlighted it yeah yeah jess uh the loving guide on Instagram. Instagram. She's just a live wire, man. Like she's just full of, she's full of life, full of energy. You can tell just listening, you'll be able to tell she's just got a lot of, a lot of, uh, charisma, right? She just like, she's really, really, uh, an enjoyable, she, we just had an enjoyable conversation with her and she's, she's, she's awesome. And she's highly intuitive. You can tell highly, uh, experienced, especially in the realm of like open, open relating and psychedelics and energy work. Um, and, you know, I say this on the recording, but, um, when, when she talks about like, you know, her relationship with her husband, um, and or her partner, I, I don't know if they're two are married actually, but like with, with Jason, um, yeah. and she talks about the compersion he, she feels towards him and this love. And you just, I just believe it. You know, sometimes people will, when people speak and you know, they're being genuine, it just has this resonance. And she just beams that beams that and she does beam that it rings true. You, you, you believe it when she says it, it's, it's, and it's, and it's cool. Cause so, there, there are, t there are times that I don't know that I believe it. I, I, I worry about like some of the really complex, you know, emotions and feelings that can come up in that type of a thing. But with her, it's, it's like, yeah, man, that's, she's, she's just enjoying life in every possible way. And, and, and is happy for others to enjoy life. Yeah. And, um, you know, we talk a lot in the beginning of this episode, well, we talk about imposter syndrome and then we get into, you know, a lot around open relating and polyamory. And I just feel like it's such a meaningful conversation for those who want to, who, who choose to be in a monogamous relationship, but, um, still can learn from this experience. And, and definitely if, if you are exploring things outside of monogamy, this is a great episode for you too. Yeah, I think I think it's good for people from all over that spectrum because, like, you know, we we talk about how I'm 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 delightfully monogamish is what we said, right? Because uh -huh. I, I I can I can be flirty and fun, 
but uh yeah i think i think it's something for everybody in this one it just it really opens it up to like kind of exploring the world through your partner's eyes uh also through your eyes and through just the concept of like real pure true love it's cool it's really cool man so i can't wait for people to listen to this one and hit jess up and uh do work with her because i think you know, as the loving guide, I think there's just, there's so much she can offer to people. Yeah. Agreed. Enjoy this one, everybody. I don't think we have any plugs, do we? I mean, uh, the Fresca, the Fresca budget is open. Venmo is, is working, but other than that, we got nothing to, I don't know. Maybe we do. What do you got? No, that's all I got. I got, so I, I just think if this podcast is resonating with you and you love what we're doing, We'd love, you know, some some Fresca budget. Just uh, hit us up on Venmo or become a Patreon subscriber. Um, You know, we haven't put any really content on Patreon, but we do love the people who support us month to month. And it really makes a difference um, in covering the costs and just, you know, allowing us energy to do this and bring on cool guests like Jess, you know, week after week. Yeah, yeah. You know, we haven't done a plug for a a review. Like if, if, if if you feel so inclined, we would love it if you'd leave us a review wherever you get your your podcast. Usually iTunes is a good place to leave reviews. And it just it kind of delights us. I love getting new reviews because I love reading them. It like it's like a special part of my uh we get we get a review like maybe once every week or two, right? But I love I love reading reviews. Let's let's read one or two on on the next episode. You know, leave us a review and we'll and we'll read. Maybe we'll maybe we'll read yours here. So Yeah, let's do it. All right, buddy. Right on, brother. I love you. Love you, too. Oh, I like that lighting. I like to kind of light up my face a little bit. (laughs) I'm loving it today, Doug. I love it all. All the Doug and whatever lighting it is. Blended candles are toxic for you, by the way. Are they really? I'm going to send you some beeswax candles. Even if it's like creativity? Is it like one of the, like from a, like it's a, like from like a, okay. it's like from I a, don't know if the scent is strong, but maybe it's an it's essential a strong oil. Scent, right? Yeah. It's okay. Dude, are we talking, wait. I have wait. a wolf nose. I'm menstruating. So wait, half. <laughs> oh, all right. We got a lot of things. We, we got, we got a lot of topics we could go just from <laughs> there. Now you got a wolf nose. I do. Hold on. What kind this of candle not- are you talking about is bad? Uh, the scented, typically scented candles that have like a color. It just omits, I forgot the toxicity of the paraben or whatever it is, but it does become like an inhalant and it's, it's toxic. You're supposed to do like, but like I said, I don't know, maybe it's essential oil and it's safe. Well, so this candle I've had, let me tell you the story about this candle real quick. (laughs) This is a candle I got when I was doing that Kundalini Yoga Sadhana to begin this whole journey we're on. Oh shit. It's that thing almost, is not it's almost gone. Yeah, I just shit talk the can the sacred. Fumes. No, I mean, I mean, I breathed in the breathed in its toxic fumes for many mornings at 4 30 a.m. So, no um, but it's supposed to be, yeah, right. <laughs> but it's supposed to be creativity. So okay. it's like, let's bring some okay. creativity today. Okay, good. I feel better knowing that at least it's got that background. It has a good background. So I'm just going to assume it's just me making up a story in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But uh, when you're uh, when you're bleeding, you can smell better. Oh I every all the senses are on fuego. But yeah, my sense of smell is insane, which is a blessing and a curse. Um 
yeah, really intense leading to my cycle. And I think it's just a very normal thing because of the mating, like go through your pheromones of ovulation and then you're going through the purging of stuff. And so there's just more clear. I don't know. It's, I don't know the scientificness of it. I just know I can smell really well when I'm on my bleed. Hmm. Again, blessing and a curse. I mean, sounds right to me. I, let's, let's go with it. Let's run with it. <laughs> I think it's a blessing and a curse about like most of the stuff we're doing here, right? In like life, I guess. Just mm-hmm. totally. You can, you know, again, there's that duality. You can hold them both. I hate my menstrual cycle, but I fucking love it too. <laughs> Got a couple more years left to appreciate it. <laughs> oh, a couple more years. How old are you? Uh, 49 next month. Damn, girl. What do you, what do you, you I know people always say, like, whenever I tell they're like, I want what you're fucking drinking. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> like, I was about to say something like that. Yeah. Like, well, I'm not drinking. So maybe that's your cue. <laughs> I typically, I'm not like a drinker. Um, I have really good you. genetics, like, insane genetics. My dad is. 80 something and has never done any work on himself and he's just fit works out eats right my everybody's lived to be almost close to 100 and looked phenomenal the only one i don't like all the maternal line all did lots of shit to their face so i'm actually going to be the first between sisters mothers grandmothers the only one that's aging naturally so i get to see I get oh to, radical yeah hell yeah, yeah. and yeah. plus you don't have scented candles. Maybe that's a secret. Too, right? <laughs> yeah, you yeah, think it's five the, years. You, you better be the watch yourself. You're going to be wrinkly. Right, I'm going to be a wrinkly old. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jess, I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad we're here together. Um, this has been a long time coming. I think we chatted about scheduling you over a year ago. It is a long. I almost checked, <laughs> but I was like, it's at least a year. It's yeah, been at yeah, least yeah, yeah. a year. I remember chatting with you because. A year ago, uh, we had flooding at our house and so I was living in hotels and Airbnbs, but I remember chatting at the time and like trying to nail down a date to, mm-hmm. to do this. And I'm glad it's happening now. Right. And it was not your fault why it took forever. I mean, we have between Jason and I, six kids, two rather unstable exes, at least at that time, mine had stabilized, but kids bouncing back and forth, um, custody losses, you know, and planning anything ahead was almost an assurance that it wouldn't happen. So I had to constantly be in a state of flow so that I didn't like fuck up my obligations. Cause it was such a horrible feeling of like planning things and not being able to fulfill commitments. And it played on my <laughs> self-worth. So I was like, can't plan. So the fact that this happened is a little yeah. bit of a miracle. I mean, I, I feel like when we first reached out to you, you were, you were just coming up on your 48th birthday. That's how long ago that was. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> been a while, but well, I'm here. Since it's been a long time coming, we were chatting last night about the imposter syndrome that was kind of coming up with it. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's interesting. I mean, it's something, Doug, we were chatting about it, I think, before Mormon Palooza. We, we did that LSD trip, and I don't know, it's a theme for me. It's, it's interesting that. Um, or at, last night when I was sh- sharing with you, Jess, like the history of the podcast and when it started and me feel, feeling like, oh, I could never do a podcast. I'm not funny enough. I'm not mm-hmm. insightful enough. And that's, I still feel that now. And we, we're on like 112, 13, whatever episodes. Mm-hmm. And it's the imposter syndrome is an interesting. And there's no deal. mercy. There's no like, it's not like, oh, you lose imposter syndrome once you get to five years of success at manifesting something that's on your 
divine path. I think it's just a part of the process through living out your fullest expression. I think imposter syndrome happens to everybody in all different careers, but I think specifically for like spiritually led, I feel my nervousness coming in, like spiritually led path. I think we're subjected to it a little more as a way to continually humble us and keep us, um, keep our egos in check. Well, okay. So that, that, let, let's, let's kind of go down that path a little bit because what is it like, you know, I, I agree with both of you. Um, it's something I deal with in every facet of my life. I mean, Mike, you know, you mentioned Mormon Palooza getting up on a stage and playing music for people is not something I feel. It's not something I feel like I've earned type of thing. Do you know what I mean? Or like, I don't belong there, but it, it doesn't just stop there. It, it, it goes, I mean, it, it's in my marriage. It's in my relationships with friends. It's in my workplace. It's in everything we do. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering what the fuck is it? Like, what is, what is it? I, so there's a lot of different layers to it. I mean, it's psychological, emotional, energetic, spiritually speaking. I think that the universe tests us like our frequency drops. I notice my imposter syndrome comes specifically when I'm, I'm going at a fast burn rate I'm in self-betrayal. I'm navigating some sort of internal battle or relational battle, or I've taken on too much from clients. I'm not in self-care. I usually can kind of pinpoint every now and then it's this random cosmic event. And I just trust like, like, I'm like, I slept, I did this. I didn't, I like, I try not to go into the self-harm shaming of like, why did this fucking happen? How, how can I avoid it? I think it's, it's part of the universe testing us. So I always just trust when it comes to create and with all things that present themselves to me, create a dialogue. Like I don't ever just assume that these thoughts I'm going to identify with. I just start to have a conversation. I'm like, wow, this is fucking interesting. I'm feeling this again. And what is this rooted in? I know your mom was this way. And I start having this sort of conversation with it and understand what it's rooted in and love myself through it when it comes. And also, I think I was telling you this, this last night is to be okay with holding the polarities of it. I know I'm good at what I, I do. I have this validation. I know when I'm on fire and I'm feeling good about myself, I am on fire feeling good about myself. And I'm also okay with holding my self-worth and my not enoughness at the same time and just being okay and loving and accepting myself right there in that moment. And usually that kind of helps me not resist it. Cause if I resist it and be like, I'm not going to feel that way. And I'm da, 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 bury myself in something to make myself feel good, that I'm almost denying that polarity and it will stay around longer. So that's just, that's been my, my work in it. Man, that, so the, the, the concept of, of kind of going back and forth on our, our internal polarity mm -hmm. is such a timely thing that you're bringing up, Jess, Mike, you and I were texting about it today. Yeah, we were, right? Yeah. And then you sent me some stuff to read um, just about the concept of um, ambivalence, I guess, is the word I'm, I'm wanting to use here. But it's it's also it's also more than just ambivalence. It's 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 coming to terms with and being OK with ambivalence, um, you know, within the self, because I, I think a lot of times for me, I feel like I have to be hot or cold on on any kind of subject, you know, anything podcast issues, 
mm-hmm. fucking political issues, fucking TV shows, what, whatever it is, I got to have like an opinion, right? Mm-hmm. But ambivalence is such a gift that I think we've 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 almost like convinced ourselves that that's that's bad. It, it's a thing that it, you know we we we're, we're not being true to ourselves if there's really something that we're pretty much in, indifferent to, and internally that's hard because you don't want to be you don't want to be ambivalent about things that are that that, that exist within the self right mm-hmm. and so it's for me it, programming it's all it, in, you know it's like that's the essential dogma binary thinking no free thinking no dancing on the polarities yeah. at all it's black or white and you know whether we're really raised in that sort of indoctrinated view or not it still comes through you know well, I'm glad you mentioned programming because I'm thinking when I'm thinking about the imposter syndrome, I think a lot of times it comes up because I I have a programmed expectation of what something's supposed to be. So when I talk about like with the podcast, well, let's talk about Mormon Palooza for a second, Doug. When I talk about being up on stage, I have this idea of what it means to be someone who's on stage captivating people with their music. Yeah. And, you know, we got up there, Doug, and we sang some beautiful, heartfelt, enchanting songs. And we also flubbed and fubbed like we normally do, right? But in my mind, it's like, no, that's not okay. But there's a charm to that when you when you when you start showing up as your authentic self, you start shedding those ideas of what it's supposed to look like. And even like on the podcast, for example, um, Doug, one time I, I think there was a, I don't know, some Facebook thread that got heated on our thing, and I remember some people talking about me and you being awkward. Yeah, and yeah. You know, I was like, we're awkward. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. At first, you know, first you hear that you're like, oh, shoot, I wish I wasn't awkward. And but what and, does that mean anyway? Like, like awkward. Again, what is like, what does that really mean? Yeah. Right. I mean, that's a good point. But I can, but I can it, be awkward, too. I can make people. It's like making people uncomfortable. Is that what awkwardness is? Like, I'm fucking awkward as fuck. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I think maybe so for that person and you realizing I don't have to be everything to everyone. Right. So right. that person, maybe they want a podcast host who's more confident in what they say, mm-hmm. who states their opinions with more like assertiveness. And that's great. So they're going to gravitate towards those. And I think, mm-hmm. so some people might be turned off by my awkwardness, whereas other people might find it endearing and uh, relatable. Mm-hmm. And so those are the type of people that I'll be attracting. And so really it's, it's learning, you're shedding this imposter sh- syndrome to kind of be like, if I just show up as me, mm-hmm. I'm going to attract what I want and what I need, but I need to get like release these expectations of what I should be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly like socially programming acceptable, especially for men in general. It's like everything is like achievement and masks mm-hmm. and put, you know, getting things right um, where women can kind of flail a little bit in our emotions and whatever, but you know, men have to like keep it together and, and not appear weak or disheveled. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I've gotten past that. I I usually appear weak and disheveled. Uh, or I like celebrate that in men, but you know, society at large is you know that's not okay. Well, it's it's funny. It, it lines up. Uh, do you, Mike, do you remember when Lindsay Hansen Park she recommended a book to us um, mm-hmm. called Awakening the Soul? So. I read Awakening the Soul, great book. I highly recommend it to everybody. But there's a point, there's a part of it that just just really stands out to me where, where he's talking about 
basically the Hamlet question to be or not to be. Right. He also throws in like Descartes, you know, the, I think therefore I am. He throws in a lot of like philosophy and shit, but when he's talking about to be or not to be, he's like, that's, it's couched incorrectly in this concept of to be what other people want me to be or not to be what other people want to me to be. And he starts going off on this big old thing about what a, what a gift to the world uh, and, and, and what a, and what a self-actualizing experience it is to be exactly who you are, because that's the only thing really when, when, when everything's stripped away from us and it's just, we exist as our like base, basic essence. The only thing that we can give one another is the, is the truest version of ourselves. And imposter syndrome comes in and says, listen, you're going to compare yourself to kind of where you rank with people and you're comparing it to what you, th- you know, Mike, you mentioned, uh, or maybe Jess, you mentioned like what other people have done or, or what it looks like, what, what, the, what it should kind of, mm-hmm. um, you know, being on a stage or having a podcast or being a, you know, mm-hmm. being a construction worker, whatever it might be. It's like, okay, this is in my mind, what the image of other people think that that thing should look like. Mm-hmm. And therefore I don't, therefore I know me, I know the insides and therefore I don't live up to what it should be. And it's like, no, fuck that. But I mean, it's easy for me to say, fuck that. Mm-hmm. But I, I get, I get in my own head about it every single minute of every single day, you know? Yeah. Well, it's very separate thinking. It's very three-dimensional. Like if you want to talk about like 3D, 4D, 5D, like scarcity, lack, comparison, competition, separation, division. I know when my vibrating in that space, I know exactly what it is and how to not allow that story to like become my truth, but to honor it, like, all right, I see you. And you were once all that way all the fucking time. You're now you've transcended that, but permission to go back in and see where you've come from. Mm. And so, yeah, like imposter syndrome is that opportunity to kind of go, wow, you've done some really awesome shit, but your ego is still really fucking powerful as it is. Alive and kicking. Yeah. But, you know, to put it in its place, don't act from that. So it's like the lesson I think with imposter syndrome is to not go about like victimizing yourself in it and like calling up friends and being like, I suck, like trying to get that external. Value. No, you're amazing. Like when I'm in my imposter syndrome, I go completely inward. Mm. I'll tell Jason, like, I'm having that shit again. He's like, that's so funny, babe, because you're awesome. Like, you know, it's bullshit. Like he'll say that. He's like, have fun processing. <laughs> but it's so validating to hear that you go through that because I'm looking at you and and then hearing about the the like journey you've been on the last 10 years. And I feel like, girl, you've got it. Like, um <laughs> and so yeah. I don't know. This the journey you've been on. Thank you. <laughs> let's like uh I don't know. It, well, and when I say you got it, it's like you have it. And when you're, when I see you online and, and I see like what you're posting and what you share, it's like you come across as such an authentic expression of you. Um, mm-hmm. But that's been a journey. So I don't know. You can talk about like a little bit of that journey. Yeah. Um, well, it's kind of interesting. I guess I could say how I became like, I guess in the linear realm, I'm a life coach, like in the physical dimension, but spiritually speaking, I help meet people in these sort of catalytic awakening. They're going through this dark night of the soul and they have, they're isolated. They have nobody and they find my content. They literally have not one person they can relate to about 
what they're feeling within themselves, recognizing their patterns, knowing there's something more, seeing like the collective bullshit out there and trying to like make sense of it while they're in these relating structures that are not healthy and they're so overwhelmed. Um, my content speaks to those people. And so those, those are the people that come to me and I'm often that first responder. And it's great to have people come to me from my Instagram because they already feel like they know me, but there's mm-hmm. that interesting pedestal effect, which I think I was talking the hierarchical pedestal, like, oh my gosh, she's got this relationship of 10 years and she's a coach and she has all these reviews and she's so awesome. And then we go into a zoom and they're like all nervous. And I'm like, first of all, I'm an asshole. I have a shadow. Like (laughs) you want to like, I am nothing. I am nobody like first things first. If anyone makes you feel less than in the coaching spiritual guide realm, like they're a guru and they know more than you, like that's just a bad sign. So I, I immediately tried to self-depreciate or self-deprecate um, so that they feel safe and like relax into uh, connecting to me. But yeah, I became a coach by proxy of sharing uh, my entire journey anonymously on Instagram and hashtagging my way through to a following that I remember when I was 46 a few years ago and I had 10,000 likes and my brother had been following my content who I'm close with was like, yo sis, did you like buy some followers? What the fuck? <laughs> like he's just a straight shooter, like super authentic. Like he's like a, a mentor person to me. And I'm like, fuck off. No. He's like, I know you wouldn't do that, but like, what the fuck? And then, you know, started to read more and be like, wow, I'm like, people are relating because I do show shadow. I do share when I'm in these spaces and there's a lot of light and love out there on Instagram and a lot of inauthenticity. And so it's kind of like my Instagram accounts. It, my Instagram account is a true expression of myself and my experiences, which people tap into and relate to and instantly go, Oh my gosh, she has like wisdom for me. She's like turned that horrible pain into Mm -hmm. purpose and they want that. And then it gives them hope and makes them feel okay. And that's all like, we all just need like just one person to be like, you're not fucking crazy. Like this, you're on it. You're on an awakening path and it's not, you're not going to heal everything in a minute, but like, welcome here. Congratulations. (laughs) You know, let's figure out like, what can we, let's pick one thing that we need to like fix or create some structure in our life and then the rest will unfold. Um, So yeah, meeting people in the absolute chaos where, you know, pharmaceutical companies love to come in there and help. But like the crisis, I'm like, the crisis is the calling. Yay. Come come join with me. I think we probably should. I think we probably should back up just a little bit here because yeah, you, you know, you're, 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 you're talking about. Oh no, the, the, this podcast is about rambling. We ramble. Okay. Oh, all them. Yeah. But yeah, my kind of podcast. <laughs> but you know, the, you know, the way you introduced yourself was just kind of like, oh, in in this sort of like, in this sort of like, uh, mortal coil. Your your role is life coach. Is mm-hmm. kind of what, how you put it, right? But I mean, I feel like it's more than that. I, I feel like that there's some pretty targeted and specific things that you help people with. So, yeah, I, mean, I can make I can give who you the a fuck list. are you? Yeah, let's talk about it. <laughs> I say when it depends on the person I like when I am coaching because I'm so keen on meeting people where they're at because I have an elevated 
high level conscious language of that coaches use for people that I can be very overwhelming and really intimidating. And I've been asleep. I was asleep for 40 years. Like I'm pretty gangster. Like I can eliminate all of the lingo of all the language of everything I've ever read and just talk like straight street talk about spirituality. Um, I'm gangster. (laughs) (laughs) But I use the term, I never really say life coach because it just seems so degrading. Um, And I no offense to life coaching because I am helping people with their life, but it's almost like a, I'm a shadow worker, like a mirror. And so I actually, when I started my Instagram, it was called Conscious Polyamory. And yes, we can talk about that. And I, it evolved into a lot of different names that still had this sort of hierarchical thing. And I was like, what is it? Who am I? And who do I want others to be? So I can create this equanimity of my name, not the blah, 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 psychologist, the holistic doctor, whatever the hell. So I'm none of that anyway, that the loving guide, like Jason, my partner's like, babe, you're the, you're a loving guide. We're a mm-hmm. loving guide to our children. Be the loving guide. Cause that's who you are. But like, no mistake, you're fierce and you are reflective and you are a force. Um, but that's, you know, who you are. So that's what I look at myself as, because that's what I'm teaching people to do, to be a loving guide. Oh. So. Ascension guide, spiritual guide, <laughs> shadow poker, you know. Um, shadow poker, holy shit. Shadow poker, reprogrammer. Well, and that's part of my like seeing abilities of tuning in and listening to the way people talk about themselves, you know, kind of like the Buddhist, you know, right thought, right word, right mindset, right reality. It's like listening to people and seeing the victim link, hearing the victim language and reflecting it back to them. Like our words cast spells. Yes. It's not all mindset, cognitive work. We need to like deal with the mind body connection, but really helping people understand how they limit themselves, how they harm themselves energetically with how they, they speak. And nobody knows that more than me who grew up with so much verbal assault and abuse and physical abuse that I've had to overcome that that voice is like, it's really strong. Like, mm. who the fuck do you think you are? Like the, the way my mom would speak to me, like can come and infiltrate just like it does with my clients and teaching them how to source and heal that within themselves. So they talk to themselves and I'm sure you've heard this before, like somebody that they love, you know, cause that's mm. what, we, you know, we want to do. We'll talk to ourselves in ways we would never talk to other there's stuff I say to myself yes, where I'm like Fuck, I would right. never say that to my child but yet I can say it to myself like we're the we're the most abusive to ourselves <laughs> I'm convinced so learning to be our own loving guides towards yeah us. <laughs> yeah so that's kind of like what I like to use because if I use and of course I do psychedelic work and integration work and cross all over somebody comes to me and presents something to me that I'm not equipped I, I'm kind of like this beacon vessels like if I can help you I tune in if I can't I'm like the redirector like I've got this person who works with that medicine and this person who it has sec- sexual trauma experience that I'm not embodied in I'm, I shy away from from helping people with things that where I don't feel like I can truly empathize although I've been called out on that that well you actually can be an amazing space holder because you're not going to be activated yeah. by this sort of um symbiotic, whatever trauma that you actually, and so I've kind of let down that sort of 
oh no, I haven't had that experience. So go to this person. I'm usually like, okay, well, I tell them I don't have embodied wisdom here. So I'm going to be going from knowledge and resource versus like through my own channel of experience so that mm. people know where every word that comes out of my mouth, where, what, you know, it's coming through the sieve of channeling my ego, my stories, my data, um, things I've read, workshops, different things so that they can see where my biases are and go, okay, like I'll listen to this or no, I need to get more guidance from somebody else. Mm. So I try to be really, it's the word I've heard recently. I say in integrity, but integrity, integritous, I don't know what the word is, but to be an integrity of the information that comes out of my mouth at this soul who's looking at me as this like person who is has wisdom is like a fucking responsibility. <laughs> I don't take like yeah, well it's when yeah. people come to you, it is a responsibility. And I love how you know you're talking about knowing your limitations and your boundaries, but also mm -hmm. knowing your strengths and where you can hold space for them. Um yep. I'm curious though, because you were talking about like you know, getting the negative self-talk and getting more embodied and it sounds like, you know, as you were making these posts early on about polyamory, that conscious relating or polyamory or open relating or this journey you've been on with Jason has been so pivotal for you getting back into your body. Mm -hmm. Would you say that or like? Or, yes. I, I mean, just overall uh, showed me how much I wasn't in my body and that, yeah, I thought that I didn't have healing to do. I thought I was really great because I was, you know, when you're in a relationship with someone for 13 years, that takes center stage of like sort of mental illness and addiction. This was a relationship before Jason. Yes. Both of us had that. And so we got to run rough shop on projecting and blaming and shaming because they were such big shit shows that it made us look really stable. And I'm like, you work, I work, you know, we're like sole providers for these kids. Like we don't, we have our shit together. Like everything looks good. So like, I must be right with myself. And then, yeah, through open relating, did I discover how incredibly wrong <laughs> I was and how incredibly codependent I was. So what was it about open relating specifically? I mean, our listeners in the podcast, like we've done a couple episodes on it. Mm -hmm. And they've actually been two of our most downloaded episodes. Yeah. Not yeah. shockingly. And I like listened just, to one, I think yeah. one and a half. And yeah. Yeah. And, and so sex, sex is sexy. Yeah. And I was very impressed by, yeah, well, we can go down the rabbit hole, but I, I was very impressed yeah. with what the speakers were communicating and the questions they were answering that you both were presenting were so aligned and I could tune in to how they were speaking that it was an embodied, they were speaking from a place of embodiment, um, which I think is, is really important in the opening. Like you don't want to go to somebody for guidance that hasn't been where you, it hasn't been where you want to go. You know, it's like asking directions from somebody lost. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and sex is sexy, but you know, mm -hmm. in talking to you and other people who uh, I know who have gone, who've, explored open relating yeah it quickly becomes oh wait this is what what did i sign up for what this is not as sexy as i thought maybe yeah yeah, yeah. well when you're dealing with your like abandonment wounds and how they show up as jealousy and possession and scarcity and la all those things were things that i had i had not yet confronted in myself and so that relating paradigm which we call jason and i coined 
ready? <laughs> Relational ayahuasca. While it's not high frequency, it is this medicine open relating comes in and will expose all of the cracks in your self-love, your security, your self-validation foundation, um, and will excavate these core wounds. And then you have to either deal with them or they become you in these toxic relating patterns. And so, yeah, through a lot of intuitive guidance before coming, becoming a coach, I had like four solid years of having my ass kicked by a divine mirror coach, multiple modality, um, that actually, and I told you this last night, probably five years ago. So whatever, three or four years before I became a coach said to me in one of our last sessions, she's like, Jess, you're like, you've got it. Like you've done enough work with me. Like you probably don't need to see me as much as you're seeing me. There's some enablement going on. Like you're good. And by the way, you're going to be out. You're going to tell everyone you're an open relationship. You're going to be coaching. It was like the last two. I'm like, I remember looking at Jason and going, she's fucking nuts. Like I, I couldn't believe that she had, I'd like, she's clearly, she's going into law school. I was like, she's lost her mind. And then of course, two years later, like I got put on that coaching path by proxy of people reaching out to me on Instagram and asking me for guidance and informally coaching and going, well, shit, I better like figure out how to really hold space and read and research everything. And I'd been then I was a Reiki, a shamanic Reiki practitioner. So I had a lot of like energy mastery and understanding of like my psychic clairvoyant abilities, but really understanding how to be a space holder, how to be a coach so that I could make sure that I am, yeah. And how to be in integrity, meaning if I'm in imposter syndrome, for example, I don't coach. If I'm in an egoic space, if I'm in shadow, if I'm processing my stuff, I will, I reserve the right to cancel and I allow, like, I'm not that coach where it's like, if you don't, unless you don't show up, like I, people can reschedule constantly. I have free range to schedule because I need to be in that space of my best. I need to have my stories in check. And so imposter syndrome kind of says, okay, time to take a break with your clients and sit with your shit, you know? So, so Jess, I, I mean, can we talk? Can we talk sex? Can we talk polyamory? Can, we, oh, yeah. can I yeah. ask a question? Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. There's no bad, no duality. <laughs> Who did that song? Color Me Bad? Yeah. Okay. So, oh, God. so um, <laughs> I'm happy to I'm happy to represent sort of like a lot of people who listen to this thing because I'm I'm mon, I'm monogamish. Mm-hmm. I'm saying monogamish because I'm a flirty motherfucker. Like, I, I you know, mm-hmm. everyone's got their own. Everybody's got their own like definition well, of what that mm-hmm. I feel like Isn't it nice to have permission. So like, yeah, we can we can talk about this. I yeah. Well, one, one thing <laughs> I want to point out, I feel like everyone is monogamish in a way because mm-hmm. We think that monogamy is one thing, but you have yeah. to define what it means to you. You know, mm-hmm. what's allowed in each monogamous partnership. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think there's a lot of assumptions made in a monogamous, mm-hmm. any monogamous relationship mm-hmm. of like what's allowed, what's not allowed. And since you're not having that conversation, you need to, you need to know what monogamy means for you and your partner and, and where the boundaries are, you know, whatever it is. Right. Well, so that, that's exactly the, the question that I think I, I want to ask because this is the thing that, I, I mean, this is the thing that I get asked 
the most by people who have listened to like an episode of like uh, like about ethical non-monogamy or, or polyamory. I mean, we've only done like three of those, Mike, and I don't know shit about it. But people, if I meet somebody, they kind of ask me like, oh, what is, here's the question. And I'll ask Jess, I'll ask you this question. So from my, from what I've observed and what people have talked to me about, the most common deal with, with a, with a relationship that was forged in the assumption of monogamy is that um, one partner unknowingly uh, enters into a polyamorous relationship without having given uh, permission or having a conversation about it. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking about through like infidelity, that kind of yeah. thing. Where and they so, discover poly, they discover one of the two in the monogamous relationship, like a poly bomb, like one it, it comes forward with the truth, although we don't really know why they're seeking, because again, that's a whole nother, get on the rabbit hole of how many couples come to me. And when I go through the like sourcing of my protocol to see if they're ready to be open, um, oftentimes a lot of unexpressed needs, unexpressed resentments, things are coming up and they're actually consciously or unconsciously being avoidant to bring something to their partner. And so therefore they're seeking outward. I mean, that's is common. It's very common. Um, so tell me what your question is. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, mean, I, I think that you're, I think that you're intuitively kind of going down that path because it, it becomes this thing where like, I mean, I, my heart goes out. I mean, it's like, okay. Mm-hmm. So a person you know, goes through maybe an affair or infidelity. And then it's like the, the explanation later is like, Oh, I'm, I'm polyamorous. Like it's almost like backing into this concept. Right. Yeah. Without really kind of going into like the, well, what, okay. Well, what does that mean to you? And and what right. are your, what are your rules and what are your boundaries for that? And is it mm-hmm. all done? You know, is it all done uh, behind closed doors and secretively and without a partner knowing it. And it's like, that's the, that's the, that's a toxic way to enter into this concept of, of polyamory. Right. It actually gives the relating construct of anything under the ENM bracket, gives it a bad name and makes it sound not in integrity. And we people who are doing it in integrity have to hold those projections as we are relating because there's those assumptions. And I was telling Mike, some of the assumptions that, come my way as an open relator out there, you know, dating and relating with a very clear boxes that I need to check will make various assumptions that I later find out through confrontation of them. I'm a sex addict. I, my needs aren't met in my relationship. Um, my partner's a douche, you know, or, or I am under sex. There's a lot of different things. And so I always bring those forward, like no and no and no and no, here's why. Like, I like freedom. I like growth. I like transformation. I like sovereignty. It served me well. I wouldn't be, I would not be where I'm at fairly guaranteeing because Jason and I have talked about this so deeply, especially on various substances, how much this journey has been foundational for all of things we've manifested as parents, like parents leading our children through the unfolding of their conscious self through the unfolding of our conscious self, um, how I am as a coach. Um, and it's uh, one interesting caveat. I have a lot of men and women that will come to me because they want to open up and they want me to coach their partner. They're like, they think I'm this like 
I'm going to coach everyone and open. I'm like, like I wave, wave my wave your magic wand, and then right. my husband will want I'm to. I'm somehow going to say, yeah. or my wife way. will want to open up. Like yeah. this is here. This is Jesus here. He's going to lead you to the truth and the light. Be, being open is that. No, it's my goal with in coaching, especially in a coupleship, is to allow is to help people remove the blocks that are stopping them from aligning with their own truth. Mm. So it's like. I'm not here to immediately converge and get somebody on someone. I'm here to like get you both to align. And by proxy of your individual alignment, may you convert, converge or, you know, diverge that the goal is always alignment with self and truth. And what is that truth? And then can your partner meet you in that truth? And so I love the disillusionment when couples come to me like, Brandy, I'm Jessica, she's like open, the, my, my Reiki master calls me the OG of o, o, open relationship, which again, helps with my imposter <laughs> syndrome all the time. I'm like, I remember he said that, but yeah, it helps. It helps. Uh, 80, 80, ADD moment, but yeah, it helps t- to explain to them. No, I'm here to get you to figure out what the fuck you want. Why you don't know. Why don't you have clarity on that? Why are you being swayed by why are you staying in this obligatory relationship? Why do you not want to leave even though they want to relate differently? Or do you know why you're monogamous and why you're choosing to be open? Like, let's fucking get in there and figure it out. If, you know, what what are the unspoken needs? Are your sexual needs? Like the questions I ask, and then they're usually like by the third question of my assessment, like somebody is just like really fucking uncomfortable <laughs> with me. Oh, and the no. partner, the wife or husband's just, or the whatever they call it, it's like, yeah, I'm going to fucking answer that. Because <laughs> that question, these questions aren't asked by each other. So I help to like, I like to poke. Like, that's my shadow poker. <laughs> shadow poker. No, Jess, I'm, I'm, oh, go ahead, Doug. I just was, no, I was just going to say I love the phrase shadow poker. I, I think that that's a, that that's like really digging in and resonating with me because that's, uh, that's what I, you coined what I'm feeling that I'm always constantly playing with myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am constantly playing with myself, but I meant <laughs> playing shadow poker. <laughs> Literally and spiritually speaking. Yeah. <laughs> and just, yeah. I was just going to say, we talked about how this was like a year in the making this episode and it's surpassing all my expectations already. <laughs> I was just so, I'm just so in, just into this and, um, one of the things I, I, I see in you, you know, I, I've talked to other people who've gone down this open relating path and have opened up their marriage or open or, or just maybe they're solo and they're solo polyamorous mm-hmm. or, um, which by the way, I've wanted to, I've, that's a fantasy. <laughs> we'll later. Go ahead. Maybe we'll dive into that. <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. I'm already lost. Solo polyamory and it's someone's fan. I don't even know yeah. what the hey, fuck let, let him finish his thought. I will remember this. Well, okay. We can go back to that. But I, I just want to say, when you talk about your relationship with Jason and all you guys have been through, and you mm-hmm. talk about, you know, a, a term that gets tossed around a lot in the, like a poly community is compersion, uh-huh. Uh-huh. where you you are loving that your partner is happy, no matter if that experience is with someone else or mm-hmm. in that feeling of love that I love that Jason's having this experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even if it's not with me. Yes. A lot of times when people say that, I kind of go, bullshit. Right. Me too. <laughs> right. But when yeah, you yeah. say it, I, I believe it. There's there's mm-hmm. an authenticity I feel with yeah. you. And when you describe it, I'm like, you feel compersion. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. A lot. Yeah. But I should say, and I don't know if it's a cheat, but we've had like our past lives read from that mentor coach that I had for four years, like through part of our, the beginning of our open relating journey that had said that we came and this, I haven't told you there's some, last night I was like stewing and all these things that I'm like, Oh, I'll save that for the podcast. <laughs> we were told we were part, and this might trigger you, a Mormon polygamous thing past. Uh, yes. And that, um, <laughs> Actually, my daughter, Hannah, who is like Jason's daughter, because they've been in that parent dynamic for a good nine years. He's helped raise her and make her into the most amazing human Wait, she okay. is. But she's your biological daughter. She's my bio she looks daughter. Like yes, yeah, <laughs> but Jason is very much a, a father. Yeah, we had this reading that, and it was like hard to disbelieve based on some of the personalities of my daughter, some of the the things that she had said about my daughter at that time and that, that she was Jason's daughter during this time that we were part of this sort of poly vibe. Yeah. And so, cause, cause here's the thing that was always really um, fascinating and why sometimes it can be hard for me to hold space for jealousy in all honesty is because Jason and I didn't have to navigate one of the like quintessential uh, things, which is jealousy. Like, and then the, we've had fear of loss, like through our abandonment. we knew what it was. We knew what our relationship was, but I don't have jealousy. And I think it's partially because of whatever my lineage is of past life, that I'm just predispositioned to relate this way. It's the only way I can explain why I'm so drawn to it and feel like it's the most like the authentic, authentic aspect, like an identity. I'm not clinging to it. I'd like challenge the fuck out of myself and why I relate this way. So I, I make sure I know that I'm doing it from an authentic place. Um, but yeah, the jealousy aspect has just not been something we had to deal with. But also the other thing is that Jason and I kind of look at each other as each other's saviors through these two traumatic divorces. We helped each other through a double divorce, helping like really hold each other through really traumatic, like litigation. Jason lost everything in his divorce. Um, attorneys came and like, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like we had, a, I came from nothing, no support. And he's like broke paying $10,000 a month to an ex. So we came from really, really held each other and like fell in love and support each other through this, we call it the abyss. Like we were just in this a bit, very codependent abyss of like best friendship and for two years in monogamy. So we had this really rooted foundation with therapy and yeah, just like really helping each other um, grow and heal and sexually awaken after like 39 years of like soul death, soul retriever, retrieval, sexual awakening. So I'm just like, it's just easier to share somebody who you look at as family <laughs> and tribe and the love is so deep and so divine and there's so much growth. And I was, you know, telling Mike that I don't like, as we just keep, we're staying together, not because out of obligation, we're just like, we keep fucking growing. We keep manifesting beautiful things, keep happening. We keep healing. And that's, that mutual space of a relationship that I want to have forever. And we've said, if like, if something were to shift and we were just kind of in this space of like, all right, our journey's kind of over, like 
it's been fucking awesome. We'll still be best friends. We'll still be in each other's lives in some capacity. So we have a deep level of honorment for each other's soul. Um, and to share it, like to share the essence of each other. It's a fucking kink. (laughs) It's like, anyone who gets to like experience it's like a dating profile feels like everyone will be texting jason um yeah like to experience him and how much he's done i didn't understand that oh shit siri's piping up about this whole conversation like they apparently didn't understand but can you repeat everything you just said (laughs) because so yeah Anyway, to like um, share the essence of who he is. And we say this, we have so much gratitude for each other. So go on and on. But to share the essence of who he is, knowing what he's done for me is a beautiful thing. Um, And why do I want to keep that for myself? It doesn't seem right, you know? And yes, (laughs) so yeah, I'm like, that's not to say we have not he's not dated women who wanted me fucking dead. You know, that's a whole nother <laughs> rabbit hole when we've explored people that are lean mono, but want, they're like, it looks so good. And you guys are so awesome. And it's so tantalizing and beautiful. And we show up in that way that makes it really a draw. And so that can be very alluring to a monogamous person. Both of us, we have to really like engage our highest self for the other to like really make sure like we're not going to have to hold their shadow or that they're not really authentically wanting to relate this way. And that's been our biggest learning this year. Wow. Like, what do we have the capacity to hold um, in deep relationship with other people that perhaps could form monogamous attachments? And then there's pain and suffering and we can't just be willy nilly about how we relate with other people. We need to really honor who, where they're at on their journey. Jess, will you look at Mike real quick? You, you, usually, usually where our guests are on screen, but will you just turn and look at Mike's face right now? That <laughs> that, that little that little like shit eating grin that he's swallowing, and you can yeah. see kind of his jaw, like kind of almost like he's holding in. Mike Mike has a Mike has a beautiful thing to say right now. Like I know that face. From, oh, dude. I don't know if I, I have know anything that. to say. <laughs> Mike, I don't mean to I don't mean to put any pressure on you, but I've seen that face 112 times, buddy. <laughs> like, You're on the spot. I'm now. just basking. So I don't so I don't really have a beautiful thing to say. I mean, I'm starting I'm to put basking, you on the spot. I'm basking in the in just the way you describe that relationship is so amazing and so beautiful. I and know, I can tell you guys have been through hell and back. I can tell you guys have supported each other and this love of like that's love. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you can say this mm-hmm. like non-possessive type of love mm-hmm. is powerful and beautiful. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times, even in like the spiritual community, we equate love with possession mm-hmm. and ownership mm-hmm. and like, um, and the way you describe that, it's like shifting this whole notion of love inside of me to like, because mm-hmm. You know, you talk like, oh, I'm going to go claim that person and I want them and yeah. be mine, be my Valentine and mm-hmm. be mine. Yeah, be mine. I've done at the yes. onset through my programming for sure. And, you know, speaking of, and I have a couple quotes that have definitely been that have, things I've said on my Instagram platform in quote or in meme format is two different things. You can't possess somebody and authentically love them at the same time because those are two different vibrations. So, and also 
you can't love somebody that you are always afraid to lose because then it's rooted in attachment and this sort of illusion that our ego wants to create with everything, especially in relationship is security and permanence. And it is a man-made construct from our human psyche to create, to protect, create certainty. And we've seen that within ourselves. We've broken down, also seen it in people we've related with that try to create security with us, try to get in and try to like through their monogamy programming, uh, create that. And it's, you know, compassion. It's a very real thing because we are disconnected. We are not in tribes. We are not a village. We are in these coupled centered relationships that really lend to this sort of codependent obligatory toxic needs based relate relationships. And we have kids and we go into the sort of matrix way of relating. And so this breaks down that, you know, it's like a psychedelic, it just like tears down those walls and you really have to be right with yourself, you know, and that's what leads me to the solo polyamory. Yeah, I, I need I need to know about that. I I I I got to jump in here. Yeah, real quick. let's jump First in. I'll we'll talk about it, what it is, and why it's been just a fantasy for Jay, for me more so. Not Jay, Jason. Just like no, no, we can't do that. Like we got kids, we got all these things. Like we can't de- destabilize the children. But it's more like a it's an escape mechanism for me when. Uh, my relationship, I'll, well, define, I'll define it after, but when my relationship with Jason becomes so mired in the physical dimensional reality of kids and not having sex for a period of time, we went from not having kids quite a bit to, and getting to like play and explore and cultivate like the pure essence of our connection to really having to be so intentional with our time together so as to really remember who we are and why we're together without substances preferred. Um, And so the solo polyamory is like, maybe if we don't live together and we're not mired in each other's rearing of the children all the time, like maybe one of us will like be able to like, I don't know, show up in, in in a better way. But I think we're just in a phase of our relationship where it's being really tested. You know, like we knew we were gonna have kids full time. We knew our life structure was going to change. We didn't know when we knew we'd go from kids here and there to kids all of the time and teenagers that are going through their own little <laughs> awakening or not awakenings um, and being able to show up for them to the detriment of our connection. And it's, yeah. So the solo polarity is like me is like trying to self-preserve the essence of our connection, but it's like, ultimately I know like my higher self is like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, is, that's not going to work. Like you guys are such, we're such processing support. He helps me in my loops, his masculine side really balance. Like I, there is a need for him as a spiritual guide to me that helps me guide other people. And so I kind of feel like, I, yeah, there's like not codependent, but there's a spiritual a relationship there where he is my guide and I am his guide. And he's just like, no way. Like, I need you here. You're like my grounder. You're my seer. You're my reflector. You tell me when I'm insulted, like I'll go fucking haywire. (laughs) So there's that, you know, aspect, but I can, the solo polyamory is essentially, it's not like necessarily relationship anarchy. It's just choosing not to like domesticate and form that sort of relationship where there's like financial domestic ties. It doesn't negate that you're not in deep committed 
relationship, growth producing relationship with other people and you have different platonic loves and maybe you have one that's, you have different connections, but at the end of the day, you're like fully sovereign and you don't have, you're not in a hierarchical relationship structure that affects the other people you relate with, I guess, which is like, I've never been, I've never been single really. I went from you know, like 26 to relationship to getting married 13 years later, met Jason three weeks, three uh, months out the gate of a divorce. I like, I've never, I'm like, what would it be like to come home and like get to do what I want and like have a date with my, you know, partner. So that's where the fantasy comes in. Holy shit. You just, you just, you just like rattled something loose in me. Like you, when you said you've never been single, if I look at my life, I'm 42 years old. My first 18 years, I lived in my familial home, you know, with my parents and sibling. And then I went uh, one year to college where I had a roommate. And then I immediately went on a Mormon mission where I was constantly living with and around someone all the time. Talk about self-betrayal. Yeah. And then I got on, like for me, I got back from my mission and four days later, I was in, I was back in college where I had three roommates. And within one year of that, I was married and living with my current wife. And so, like, of course, I don't even know what uh, solo polyamory is or what a, what, what, how that could even be a fantasy. Cause I've never not lived with people who mm-hmm. were part of like the symbiotic relationship of making that home work. Right. Mm hmm. And it's so funny because uh, my my wife and I talk about this frequently. Like, I am a I am a person. I like going and being alone. Like, I I leave and I just be alone. And at first, she had a hard time with that because she's like, "Well, are you are you talking to people? Are you meeting people? Are you what are you doing?" And I'm like, "No, literally, I go on a every year. I go on a ten day motorcycle ride where I don't talk to a fucking soul. Like, I literally am by myself." Yeah, that's your way of grounding and almost like the empath or like having boundaries so you can restore and yeah, it's me clearing out all that shit right? yourself from whatever it is. Otherwise you probably, it's like your, it's like your, your way of um, like not medicating, but like connecting to yourself, right. essentially recharging. recharging yeah. yeah. I mean, it is a, it is medicine to me. I mean, it is like medicating it. That's a good word for it. It is a recharge. It's like a rum springer for me where I'm just like, I owe nobody, I know, I know, I owe nothing to anybody, mm-hmm. but for her, she doesn't like being alone. Like, I'm like, dude, go on a trip, girl. Like, go, go. Yeah. Figure the shit you know, out. it like, is, it requires, Jason was like that too. It, um, throughout a lot of the open relating part, me needing my time and space and feeling really good to be alone and him going through that feeling of like, feeling the alone versus me like really loving the aloneness and like loving the time with myself as almost like a requirement to my sanity and for everybody's fucking safety (laughs) you know like i need my space otherwise i will like cut a bitch sort of you know thing and that's still that still holds true um but i think it was only the last year that jason really um held such great value in that mostly because he's the primary working provider you know he's like a corporate starting his business like he's in year three of like fun like so much uh disconnect from self through um this business and like trying to keep it alive and so people don't lose their jobs he's you know at the top whatever 
CEO dude. Um, and I think for him, he's really understood the value of it. And mostly because I've told him like, babe, you're a little like, you're a little ungrounded and it's like affecting my energy. <laughs> like yeah. you're really projecty and you're holding and like, I'm not going to fucking hold it. So like go expel that shit or I'll hold space for it. But like, go, you know, yoga work, you know, mm-hmm. I'm that reflector of like your shit ain't right. And he's, you know, the same there's, like I said, there's equanimity when he's just like, sometimes he's like, you've had so much fucking alone. time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's like our biggest that's our biggest thing is alone. Why do you want to be alone? I'm like, because yeah. I fucking never have been. You guys, uh, can I share something from the other side of this? Because I think yeah. in my dynamic with my mate, it's a little, I get I'm I anxiously attached to her and she just needs her space sometimes, you know? And, uh, you can't hold on to that label. It is something you can still work through. Well, I know, but I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to work through it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've had all, I've had avoided like, yeah. anxious. It's like, it's good to be able to identify. So you know how your behavior show up so you can like laugh at yourself and figure it out, but it's all malleable. But I mean, when, we, <laughs> when she says she needs her space, I take it as this thing of like, well, I'm not good enough. What do you, what do you mean? Right. Like, oh uh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like, why would you not want to be with me? Right. But how um, does it come at you? Because there are times when Jason gets himself to a max point where he's like, I need to fucking go for two days. Like I and then the kids and the, and I'm like, okay, like permission to leave whenever you want. Like don't he gets to the burn snap rate, which can feel very painful. I'm like, can you like figure this? Can you like ground and like figure out what you need before it becomes this declaration that then I have to like hold that feels like abandonment. You yeah. know, so that yeah. might be. It is about the delivery, and if it's in a loving container, like I've had to teach. Jason, how to come to me, no matter how much he spun out, ground, go do whatever you need to like, go, Hey, this is what's going on. This is in my field. I'm stressed out. The kids and their issues, like you're dealing with your, I'm going to got this going on. I need to go for a couple of days. I'm just like, go. But when it comes at me from a place of uh, pain and then I hold it and take it on as my own. So I'm curious if like that. how the container is when it's delivered to you, it makes a big yeah, difference. I can see that. And the, delivery matters. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm also finding that I also love to be alone, you know? Yeah. Um, I actually was in this thing. I was doing this vocal work with this woman and she's very intuitive and in how she was reading me. And she was like, I want you to feel like it, you, you and your own energy. Right. Mm-hmm. And just like sit there and just like this bubble. I want you, you to put aside work kids. Mm-hmm. I was in preparation for more, more influenza. So like the future, any concerns mm-hmm. you are in your own little bubble right now. Mm-hmm. And she's watching me. Mm-hmm. She's like, okay, no, now fill it from your backside too. Wow. And as soon as I, Hypnotherapy almost. Yeah. I've done some of this before. Oh, yeah. As soon as, it's so helpful. Yeah. As soon as I breathe into my back, it mm-hmm. felt like selfishness. Like I want to be alone. Yeah. And and if I really take my my wife and my kids out of my mind, mm-hmm. it feels selfish. I know. And it come came from the backside. And all of a sudden I breathe into that feeling of selfishness. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden she's like, okay, you're there. Now, mm-hmm. now you've got it. Yeah. And when I felt that, I also felt like this selfishness was giving me this energy like yeah. this. She's like, yeah, yeah. You're, you're just like, you're plugged into us or you're recharging. Right. Um, yeah. That selfishness is like this. Oh, I'm recharging. She's like, yeah, now you're recharging. So you can also be for, be there for them when they need it. Exactly. But, yeah. but if you don't ever take that time for you where you're like uh-huh. feeling that selfishness, quote yeah. unquote. Mm-hmm. 
then you're never really recharging. Mm-mm. And that was oh. a big thing for me. I mean, we're programmed by this these collective systems to view freedom and autonomy and sovereignty and self-connection as selfish. Because that serves the slave mentality. Like the more disconnected, the more we're in servitude, hello, religious dogma, the more we're in service to others and not giving them our overflow, the less we're going to be tuned into our body and intuitive and figure out what the fuck we want. We will put others first. And that, again, makes great fucking slaves. (laughs) Oh, man. This is speaking of my whole heart right now because I... Yeah, I, I sorry, I got emotional just for saying that. Um, Isn't he adorable, by the way? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, no, just, just checking. You're you out. all adorable. But what happened to your lighting? Adorable. You had this whole lighting thing set you're up, like and then dark it got and gaudy. The, now you're the like jan, the, the, the janitor's cleaning. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> they turned the they turned the lights out there. Yeah. On so I, I I you know I'd love to go out and turn them off. They're gone now, but. I'm not leaving this shit. That's too good. I'm not even walking 10 feet. <laughs> what what I was trying to uh, just express is that we're, we're talking about a thing that is like probably the biggest, uh, you know, chasm in my, in my relationship, mm-hmm. which is the, the thing of like, you know, Jesse, maybe I'm going to butcher that quote that you did, but it was like, you can't truly love someone if you're, if you're constantly worried about losing them or Perfect. whatever it was, something, something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that really, that really touched something in me because I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to be alone to escape the people I love mm-hmm. or, or to, or to abandon the people I love. I just like being alone because it's like the, the everything, everything falls away. You know what I mean? I, I, when I'm alone, I do what I want to do. I look the way I want to look. I, I behave the way I want to behave. And I just need that mm-hmm. to come home and be a good friend, a good husband, a good father, a good coworker, a good dude. But it also causes like a riff because it's like, why the fuck, you know, Mike, to your point, why, why the fuck don't you want to be around me? I'm like, I do want to be around you all the time. But just sometimes I don't. I, sometimes I just want to be around me. Mm-hmm. And it's not. It's viewed. It's viewed as a selfish thing sometimes. Right. And I'd ha- I could like start coaching you right now and like ask a bunch of questions, but I don't want to be like disrespectful to the other soul that I'd want to like tune into too. Same. Um, and my biggest but, problem is yeah. that she loves me so fucking much. Oh, mm-hmm. darn. What a yeah. tough, what a tough go. Well, but I would love to, I would love to chat with you offline about some of this stuff. Totally. I've offered like endless guidance to you both, but yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I, from my understanding from listening to prior podcasts, um, you know, there's such, you guys have grown up together and yeah. you have an enmeshed identity together. And when I've coached couples who have been together or even like related deeply with, I have lots of data, lots of data points on couples who've been together for a long time, especially if they've traversed like indoctrination or loss or like significant trauma or programming and they're going through awakenings. Obviously it's, it's variant. You are both on 
different paths to say, um, check, 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 check. I mean, yeah, I'm taking them boxes is very like Jason and I, even though we're together 10 years and have been on our awakening path, somewhat in lockstep, we've had significant moments of lack of resonance on our path where he is working on a wound and it's manifesting in a certain way that it's so fucking activating and so triggering to me that now in hindsight, I look back and I knew like once I got to a certain place and then I see him like all of a sudden I'm traversing something and he's just like, I don't fucking get you right now. And we've learned, we used to be very activated by the lack of resonance, which would happen over two months, three months, sometimes a year where we're just reviving here and there, like enough to like, not like go terminal. Um, we've now laugh when we're not vibing. We're like, Oh fuck, we're not vibing right now. Like, like, I don't want to, I'm like going to go do my thing. Or he's just like, babe, you're like so entrenched in what's going on with Wes, our son who's 11 and is navigating different sort of spectrum shit that makes Jason crazy. And he's just like, I can't process that shit. You're like in your fucking loops of processing and I'm out. Like I don't include me. I can't do it. Cause I'm, you have your attachments and it's making me crazy. And this is what I see that you need to do and you're not listening. So like there's, you know, those aspects of again, holding both like, we love each other. This is the long-term scope of our relationship coming out of the myopic. But then in the myopic, we're like, fuck off. <laughs> and then it's okay. And we'll play, we'll play with that polarity in our relationship where before it would be like, are we meant to be together? We'd like go into this hyper heady analysis versus the surrendering and knowing. And sometimes it takes a medicine a substance to like really dissolve the ego bullshit to be like, we're fucking good. This is just stuff playing out in the physical, in the realms of illusion. I call it the physical dimension. Like this is testing us. It's refining us. It's deepening us individually. And let's just like, let's not make a fight. (laughs) Okay. I won't process this with you. You got it. You know, versus going, you're my partner. I'm like, you need to process this stuff. Like we've really learned the art. And I teach this to monogamous couples and open relationship, open ENM couples is our partners do not need to hold all of our shit. We need to be well-resourced and we aren't in codependent couple-centered relationships. Mm. We will burden the wholeness of our relationship with all like what I'm dealing with, with my future menopause and my different kids and all this stuff. And Jason's like holding this corporate baby that's like going to sustain us. And I'm just like, process this, process this. And he's like holding the weight of like 20 employees. And I, again, I've had to like, we do that sort of ask within space holding. It's like, I'm going through something with this. Do you have space to hold Mm. and permission to say, fuck no, <laughs> you know, and Holy shit. never did I understand the value of that and going, you know what? I, I can like, I'm not a dipshit. I can process this. I'm just been so codependent through all this divorce trauma and all this processing that I was in a pattern, a program of having to run everything through the sieve of my partner. And it's hard. It's been like such a shift to be like, mm. he's like, how was your day? I'm like, I'm there's some stuff, but we go high level, like got some texts from so-and-so and I'm processing this. And he's like, all right, cool. Like we don't hide that. Cause obviously he's just like something like we want to show that something is up and that might be why we're a little disconnected or not present, but that we don't have to vomit 
you know? And again, we live in a world where it's just like, yeah, (laughs) you do. What I love about it is you consciously do it. So it's like, do you have space for it right now? Yes. Intentionality. Intentional. And, and cause there is also a power in intentionally vomiting in a way. Yes. It's very, it's actually narky. I'm not gonna narky yeah. as a narcissistic to narky narky, <laughs> which is looking for a feed supply to hold my emotions, to handle what I'm saying, and somehow like either solve it or validate my story, whatever it is that that person would do, versus like really taking it inward and being like, like, can I figure this out? Do I need to run all the dramatics of story through my partner, or can I take them through the higher level without the story, which you know, for example, would be like, yeah, something happened with Wes after school. I'm navigating this and I'll let you know how it goes in the back end. I got it versus like this happened and forwarding him texts and like, you know, bringing him into the real time energy. That's the mm. charge. It's the energy um, versus the high level doesn't activate the nervous system as much as pulling them into the dramatics of the story and sending texts or sharing it when I'm in an an escalated space when I'm like chill and can share it from this grounded space. It's not energy that he has to hold. He can just be like, wait, like you got it, you know, high five versus the the need for us to get that feed of like, it is, it's a a very addictive. I'm in a chaotic space. I need some chaos. Yeah. I I'm read. I am picking up everything you're putting (laughs) down. Picking up what I'm dropping. (laughs) Yeah. This might seem like a pivot, but I want to go here. It is. it is Mormons on mushrooms. Yeah. And you're talking about holding space and the energy mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about psychedelics? Yeah. Okay. Oh, so yeah. like how has psychedelics helped you with this? I mean, I or or maybe that's just too broad of a question. Let's just yeah. talk about psychedelics as well. Okay. About. So, yeah, uh, let's talk about it. We can start with that. Um, well, I mean, I don't have to tell you guys and the listeners that, you know, psychedelics it's like this sort of anti-pro it just breaks down the walls. It mm-hmm. dissol- you know, quiets ego allows us like the, it allows us to be uh, a teacher and listen to our higher selves. And so, yeah, through all of like, I, without psychedelics, I have to say, like, I don't know if I would be as adept as a coach, as a space holder, as a parent, as a partner, Um, yeah, it's really helped me figure out just how much my ego, um, can run the show. Um, and because it's been doing it for so long, 39 years, yes, it's frequency, duration, and intensity is less. Like I always tell people and they're like, what's this healing like? Like, I want to like heal this shit. And I'm like, goal is like frequency, intensity, and duration of activations. And, Hmm. you know, the nervous system dysregulation and the triggers, all that are always going to be there, but like, are they going to make you an insomniac for three or four days? Are you dysfunctional? Like the goal is to like minimize that. And so, yeah, psychedelics, I look at them and I tell people who come to me when they're like, oh, tell me what it's like. I have never done anything. I'm like, it's like this subconscious door, like unlocker, but like gives you what you can handle. It like meets you where you're at, set and setting, of course. Oh, big time. Recreational, you're like, you're like thrown to the wolves, but you know, set and setting, it's like, it just kind of opens up the like subconscious doors to create that mind body connection and draw associations to like our traumas and the behaviors associated with it and like form new pathways to 
um, like new behaviors, which we all want. It's like, we all want to change our reality, but then we can set intentions all day long. But if like our mind just keeps thinking this way and behaving, you know, it's like, it's a pattern interrupter, I guess. And it allows us to actually do the work. Um, and I don't think, well, I did a lot of work in open relate, a lot of shadow work in open relating. I think psychedelics really like cracked the code, uh, for me. Mm-hmm. So do you, do you have a preferred, um, medicine? Um, so I've enjoyed, I don't know if you've ever heard of Silawaska, which is. I recently, yes, I have heard of Silawaska. Yeah. Yeah, I do work with that. Um, it's the Aya component to the Silawaska that actually is likes just the psilocybin experience, but it does open up the realms for a little bit more mystical experience. But, you know, we're talking mask on deep inward, uh, experience. It's a medicine I like, it's considered the gentle mother because you don't want a purgative. Sorry. So combination of ayahuasca and psilocybin. Yes. Yeah. The ayavine, which then activates the psilocybin and makes it just a more deeper energetic open experience. But, um, yeah, I mean, you may just like be very blunt with the substances I've enjoyed, like recreationally and also medicinally like ceremony MDMA hippie flipping, which is the MDMA with a mushroom, also ketamine. Um, And I'm talking about like, like very conscious use, but even conscious within the recreational framework. Like I rarely take a substance no matter where I am without setting an intention and like blessing the pill, the medicine, Mm -hmm. but whatever, like, this is why I'm doing this. This is what I'm, mm. what my ask is. Um, so yeah. And also a, I'm a ma- very big macro doser. Ceremonial dose for me is two grams. And I'm like in like very DMT ish land on mushrooms. I do shadow, but it's very like, uh, it, um, helps me with my clairvoyant, like my seeing abilities and channeling abilities become way more prevalent. Like the veil drops and I can really feel more and it makes it great for space holding with clients that are on the mushrooms, mushroom or silawaska. There's that synergistic, like, I feel a portal opening. Like, should, do, would you like me to do energy work on you? And like, I see the portal, I see the portal. you know, like there's a synergy that happens that um, when I'm doing energy work without substances, I can feel, but my client is like, yeah, like, whatever, do whatever, but they don't as much tune. It becomes more symbiotic when there's a substance involved because the client obviously has more blocks than I do. So it makes it really cool when you're like, you channel something or some experience, your client's like, yeah, I felt it in my solar plexus, like something you did, like they feel something and you both talk about it and you're like, fuck, like this is working. I am a conduit for divine source energy, you know? So, um, I like how it validates my intuitive abilities that I get imposter syndrome about it, like helps break down and dissolve my ego. So I can see that I am like, a, a, a my channel is clear to be that kind of plug between this soul's essence and divine source. So well, I love how you're bringing it into energy and it ties into what you were talking about earlier and like energetics of your relationship with Jason and you know, the nervous system thing of like, uh, you know, 
do I just dump a little bit at a time or do, you know, I hold mm-hmm. it. And then when he's ready to hold it energetically, mm-hmm. then I'm okay to dump or vice versa. Right. Yeah. And yep. teaching the energetics of it. And it ties into something we were chatting about last night that I would love to touch on mm-hmm. is how my whole notion or understanding of healing has changed mm-hmm. with psychedelics. Mm-hmm. Whereas before it was like, yeah, if I could just do this, then my depression would go away or my anxiety. Yeah. Would go away, mm-hmm. Right. And it's yeah. like, yeah. and now realizing that like, Oh, it's so much more energetic than I thought. And, yeah. and like, I could be feeling stuff from my childhood. Sure. Yeah. But more likely, maybe I'm even experiencing something like an ancestor coming through mm-hmm. or in a yeah. medicine space, you learn this. And Doug, we mm-hmm. were talking in our last episode, we kind of hit on this or yeah. two episodes ago when we were talking about our LSD journey, you get in a group setting and it's like people assume these different archetypes and you have mm-hmm. someone like, okay, I'm going to help process as like an empath and pull things in. I'm going to be mm-hmm. an anchor. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a little fairy giving love to everyone. Yeah. And you, you play in this energetic space of and so you might be feeling something in that journey that's not even yours mm-hmm. whoa you know and we talked about that last night yeah yeah and so I would, love, I would love to talk about this and this whole mm-hmm. notion of like i think we have this thing in like western culture of like i'll take this pill i'll be fixed i'll fix some childhood thing and yeah. even but it's you, all just us in this timeline and that we're not multi-dimensional beings that transcend this timeline um yeah. i think ayahuasca showed me that the most i think from what I've talked to from other priestess women, other healers, other people that work with medicine, what I would call in like an integrous, in an integrity way, integrous, um, integrous, that once we do a good bulk of our own excavation of our shadow and integration of it, we are giftings. It's like the shadow people always associate as like dark and like unconscious and you know, young, younging and stuff, but like, and I think young also touches on this is that in our shadow are all of our giftings, Mm -hmm. all of our, our spiritual gifts and intuitive abilities. And once we excavate that, we have more space in our body for the light and to be less depressive, less, you know, filled with anxiety, but through, it took a few, definitely not my first four that I did back to back. That was like straight you're a beacon of light. You're going to be a healer, but like diving into the depths of like all my, my own personal stuff. There was no lineage. There was no collective, um, except for feeling the collective suffering within this room of 75 people. But now when I do medicine, I have to be really careful as a space holder. My dose, whether it's psilocybin or mushrooms is 0.17. If I go to 0.3, I'm in my shit. I'm in my stuff and I can't focus. Um, I'm super sensitive um, versus some of my clients. Actually, I I coach and I've sat with quite a few Mormons who've come in from Utah. um, And they need need like four or five. And they're like, um, they're like, what's wrong with them? Like nothing. It's just like more programming, more blocks. Like over time I've seen, uh, I usually formulate a pretty good bond with my clients if I'm working with them over time and they become dear friends, but I have some that now it's year three of working with them. And now they only need two. And they're like, fuck yeah, I went from like six to two. And they're like, that means they're just more open and they, they, uh, their ego is less. They're just, they're safer in their bodies. They're already starting to do the mind body connection. And so they need less. And so, yeah, but 
now when I do a ceremonial dose, I feel like it's really intense and I can be very avoidant. Like my last ayahuasca uh, double ceremony, I felt really, um, I felt that the suffering of others, I felt like I wanted to like guide and touch people and like do energy work. And I was like, I need to just give me another drink. Like, let me go in. And then I went in and I was like feeling stuff that wasn't mine. And I was like trying to purge this collective stuff where I'm like, I don't even know this is not mine. I just know it's not mine. I know it's something else. Okay. Maybe it's the person next to me. So I think we become a vessel. And I've had this told to me by somebody I've sat with, with ayahuasca, a, a priestess shaman. She said to me, and then she's like, I think you're a vessel for human suffering. And I'm like, great. That's, that's like, what, <laughs> put that in my fucking grave. Like, oh, so should, yeah, real, like, there, there's like a, we are, when our channel's clear and it given sometimes what I attract in relationship, I'm like, there are people that come to me and I'm like, wait, I'm not supposed to date you. Like I'm just supposed to direct you. <laughs> like I think, and ayahuasca told me that early on, like souls are going to come into you and you're going to have to through your higher self decide, am I supposed to relate with this person or am I supposed to help them on their path? And with what boundaries, you know, again, the great responsibility, I have to treat them like somebody coming off, off Instagram <laughs> wanting coaching. It's like, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Mike, you feel that. that too, don't you? Like you yeah. might be a vessel for human. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. You. Well, I think, and I was going to say, I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast will feel the same way. And I feel like this is what I felt leaving that ayahuasca ceremony is that I'm this vessel for human suffering. And so mm-hmm. I mistakenly thought, oh, therefore I have, that's my plight in life. I, I mean, we call that episode the plight of the empath, Doug, you know? Yeah, so, I remember. Yeah. Yes. When it's like, no. You naturally, I mean, think of it as like yeah. polarity and charges. Mm-hmm. Like you naturally have a certain charge which attracts this. Yeah, yeah. But now yeah. you're uh, like uh, learning in this life is to learn to set a boundary mm-hmm. and help. You can channel. It's almost like a jujitsu kind of thing. Yeah, people will come and be attracted to that, yeah. or like as this. Yeah. But then you you just like okay, <laughs> go over here or here. Here's someone who can you know. Yeah. And it's like, That's a discernment, yeah. and that requires and I tell this even to couples who are in or people that are dating and come upon a relationship where they're like, it seems like they're coming. It's like a feed supply. And they're like, what do I do? I don't know if I'm supposed to, uh, this is, this is not. And I'm like, pull away from the enmeshment. It's like energetic cords of attachment, like form really quickly, especially if there's sex involved. And we have to like step back and be like, what, what is my role here with this soul? separate from my wants, needs, and desires of my ego and my sexual, my lower chakras, because lower chakras are just like, "Ah!" you know, (laughs) like, you know, it's like, okay, let's go up into the upper chakras. Like, what is my role here separate from, I think they're hot. They're really cool. I love it. You know, or unconscious or conscious attractions to this person. And how can I separate from that to see what is my purpose with this soul? Um, and as conscious awakening people with relating with people who perhaps are new to the path, we have a responsibility to be called into that higher way. I call it like higher, higher intelligence, higher self relating, which is really fucking hard because our ego's like, oh, there's something. Da, da. And I'm just like, no, I'm like, not, I don't need to save this person. Yeah. I have fucking done that in my life and it's not turned out well, you know? 
Like I've already walked out the savior mentality as a wounded empath. So now it's like, I am now healing and this person's coming to me. What is it that, what is my role with them? And how can I honor that and and them? Which is like, that's like true unity consciousness or oneness separate from what the ego wants to make of the sort of connection. Holy shit. I got to make, I got to make a confession. Is it cool? I mean, 100 and whatever amount of episodes, 112, I think, 113. Sure. Yeah. This, is, this will go on 13. Yeah. <laughs> on 13. Uh, Jess, you're here for it. Mike, I, I'm, I'm going to make this confession. Do we need to take a roll call to make oh, sure? No. I'm just, I'm just you making sure everybody's listening. <laughs> is everybody listening? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the two of you are talking about this like a uh, vessel of human suffering that Jess, you've said that you take on, you coined the phrase. That's why we picked up on it. Mike, mm-hmm. you do it every time we trip. Like that's the thing that you do. And I've always kind of gone along with that and said, yeah, same. Like I'm in there and I'm empathetic and I'm doing all that shit. I don't think, I, I don't, I don't think I am. Mike, you've tripped with me enough to know. I don't think I am. I don't think I'm doing a vessel of human suffering. I think I'm just like, Y'all okay? Like, chill. We, is that like a is it like a badge of honor? Because I'll fucking take that. <laughs> I thought it was a badge of honor. Like for for all the I'm 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 going to tell more about that. Like I've thought I want to be part of this thing, part of the podcast, part of this awakening, part of this whole thing, mm-hmm. and I wanted to be that empath and that vulnerable, all that shit. Mike, you know this about me. Like every like the last time we were tripping when we were doing LSD, I just am not like I'm just like look. Everything's fine. And I had to apologize to you, Mike, because you're really good at feeling everyone. You're feel you're feeling everyone. And what it comes down to is like, ah, I, I this might be like a this might be like a real confession that I'm making that I don't feel very good about. But I'm just like, nah. You, so let you, me kind of leave your leave your, like, leave your, leave your shit. I don't care. Here. What'd you like, say? I let me soften. I feel like you're looking at it as like it's a negative thing that you're now coming to this realization that you are not like Mike or not like this. I want to be like Mike. But here's the like so too vessel of human suffering comes great responsibility, and I think there are certain souls like I apparently with my belief system that now is way more embodied. Used to be in theory of like I chose this. You know, I'm like. Nice job, fucking asshole. You chose a fucked up journey. <laughs> like, you must be like so full of yourself to like pick all of this suffering and now be a healer. Like, fuck off. Like, I, but I do believe that uh, I have chosen this path and that it's my path. And the more that I've tried to deny it and be like, I don't want to be a coach. I don't want, like, I did not pick, I didn't go, I want to be a coach. It like came upon me and I tried to buy it, you know, through again, imposter syndrome for many years. So we're like accepting it and getting the fuck out of the way. You have a different soul path, whatever that is, you have your own codes to deliver out to humanity. It doesn't mean it all has to pass through you and you're going to attract it. That doesn't like, that's not like some badge of honor. I think we all have our role here. We all have our soul mission. Should we choose to accept it? Um, it took me a long time to like figure out what my, my soul mission was and accept it and get out of the way. Um, 
and you have yours and it could be whatever it is that you're doing through your voice. And it doesn't have to be the way Mike does it. I know people who aren't vessels for human suffering that are do amazing fucking work and they're bound, like nothing comes through them. They're just like doing their thing and they're not attracting these sort of people. So it's like, I think there's different people, <laughs> different yeah. souls that are born in di their different incarnations and so it's not, I just don't want you to degrade who you are and your place on this planet because it's absolutely perfect. And it's, you picked it. I, I appreciate that. I just, you know, it's, it's funny. Like, I think that a lot of, I, like, I want to be a healer. Like I want to help people heal. Oh, okay. Okay. You know what I'm saying? But I think that I'm, I think I'm just a fucking, no, I'm not going to use so. that. I'm not going to use the negative word I was about to use. I like self-talk is cool and, and important, mm -hmm. but Mike, I like, We've talked about this shit and I always apologize to you afterwards where I'm just like, yeah, me too. I'm trying to like help everybody heal and like get there. But when I'm really being honest with myself, I'm like, that, actually, I'm I, just kind of a dick. Maybe you're still in the way and that's okay. Maybe I am. Yeah, that, that could be it. No, can I, you're not ready. Can I talk to you about this, Doug, a little bit? Because <laughs> we talk about those different roles when we're tripping, right? right. And this came up last time where... I've tripped with you in several group ceremonies. Yeah. And Doug, this the ability you have to anchor a space where when Doug is present, everyone feels held and loved mm -hmm. and supported. Mm -hmm. And even on this podcast, I was talking to Jess last night being like, just wait, when you go and Doug's on the other side mm -hmm. of the screen, don't you all, mm -hmm. all of a sudden just feel safe and held and like, mm -hmm. oh, I can, I'm, I can play around in this space because energetically you're holding a container setting a container and I, I i mentioned this to you last time we it freed you up last time we we, we did lsc together we yeah did it, did, it really did and we brought a bigger anchor yeah and that guy he was passed out on the floor mm -hmm. and that's normally what you're like when we're in these group ceremonies you, you can't move like when we did ayahuasca together oh, you yeah. were the anchor for that whole group you were uh, dead the whole thing and I'm zipping around and like buzzing around. Dude, you were dipping and diving all over that place. Yeah. yeah. Because you were there holding this, holding the anchor. And so don't sell that short. That's mm -hmm. a role that society that we need. And we're, you know? all, we're all vessels. It's like, you know, some days I am a vessel for my own suffering and I can't, I'm just like, when I'm low and in my victim space, which could sometimes be for a month, I'm like, I can't even coach. I'm just like, fuck all your problems, you know, problems. Like that's part of me, like, you know, owning those different aspects of myself. So, you know. Girl, you are, I've been talking to you for an hour and a half. You are a vessel for electricity <laughs> is what you are. Like, honestly, <laughs> I'm like, I'm lit up over here. That's what you are. Thanks. It, you would not want to know my processes leading to this podcast and like how many story loops I was in about how it was going to go and what I was going to share. And because I can ramble and I can be like ADD with my thought and completely lose as words are coming out of my mouth, the point that was just before that. And I was like, please don't let me do. But I was like, you know what, if that's who I'm going to be, then that's going to be authentically me. <laughs> The only thing that eased me was listening to you both through two or three podcasts. You both were easing me through my suffering. So therefore, 
you are a vessel. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, like you are hold you're holding it and creating the container for which I can express authentically and yeah, it's like it's not it's not easy. Oh my gosh, I'm exactly. so much. Fun Let me right say now. one thing about you and then I'll say about Jess, but like um I sometimes feel guilty in the fact that like I get to zip around because you're holding space. We talked about we talked about this, dude. You are the you're the key to my whole experience. Oh, and then and then so even when we're talking about this LSU trip, and I can say Tessa's name, she said I could say it. So we had this moment where this this uh a guy we're talking about just prostrate on the floor and he was processing his stuff, and I'm there holding him and like and Tess comes and I'm like, Tess, should I feel guilty about that we kind of brought him to like hold this anchor? He's like, No, he's where he, he's where he wants to be. He, yeah, you he know, was. He, he, he everyone's was really playing the role that they want to be mm-hmm. in that authentic role. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I love That's how you. we heal in that the communi- communal space. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. the power of healing within a community. I think that's one of the things that plant medicine shows. It's like, yeah, we can deal with our own shit. Mm-hmm. We can hold it all here. But when we're all intentionally showing up in mm-hmm. our it, w- free of imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. yep. free of like all these stories, like I'm going to show up as authentically me, Jess, Doug. Mm-hmm the magic we can create in a communal space, mm-hmm. we, we automatically tap into like this energetic thing where now we can like really work through some energy and some communal. Which is like very shamanic. It's, you know, it's like, yes, we can do some healing by ourselves and one-on-one, but, you know, we heal in these safe con- communal containers and some of the most healing that I've done happened in way large containers. I would not go back in again, but were pivotal to my advancement of like really when you're in a space that's apocalyptic and everyone's puking and crying and you're like feeling it creates that sort of essence of like, we are all together in this, like everybody, we're all going through a big collective purge all of the time. We're all trying to find out who we are and access our truth. And we have a deeply programmed, you know, humanity that are hopefully like waking up way more than at a rapid pace than they ever have. Thankfully, I, I like technology while is so evil in so many ways has really created the conduit to find like-minded people to radiate and make people feel not so alone. Um, if I like think about where I was at at the age, my daughter was at, like I had a fucking encyclopedia Britannica. Like I didn't even know how to use a tampon. Like I, and there was no Googling. There's no anything. It was like, I didn't have parents to help me. I had like, there's no access to wisdom from the collective consciousness or unconsciousness. And now there is that access, you know, yes, there's a lot of shit out there. (laughs) Like, on the platforms, but now we have access to like find information and resonate with it and go down rabbit holes. Like, Oh my gosh, like the rabbit holes we can go down that I couldn't go down in my twenties. Um, when I was feeling like I had a potential to awaken and was hanging out with certain people that were kind of woo woo, but there just wasn't enough of that frequency to like support the vision of an awakening for myself as there are now for people. And I know that for a fact, because I get that data from people that come to me and are like, Instagram, like, is like this portal to like all this stuff. And they get to like, you know, go down the rabbit holes that, you know, I didn't get to have. 
Okay. Um, this is my worst uh, role that I have to play, but time's up. So, <laughs> so yes, the first thing I want to say, we haven't even really quite touched on it. You've, you've mentioned your Instagram thing, but if, if people want to support you or, I mean, uh, even try to interact with you. Yeah. What's and I do way? interact. I do like, I read my DMs. I do connect as much as I can without, you know, with certain boundaries. Go ahead. Oh, no, you're saying it. What? So what's the best way for people to um, do that? So I'm at the dot loving dot guide. So the loving guide, but just with dots in between. Um, I also have a link tree, which is a loving guide or maybe it's loving guide, but probably Instagram is a great way. I'm also on Facebook as the loving guide, um, for people to connect to me in any way whatsoever. I have a very genuine, like desire to connect with people that reach out to me that are drawn to express themselves. Um, so yeah, that would be a great way to connect about anything. And yeah. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, we'll put amazing. we'll put all your we'll put all your links in the in the show notes, but I just honestly this thank you for being here. Uh you're awesome and I would encourage anyone who is listening to this and is feeling the same feelings I'm feeling to track Jess down. Oh, Especially knowing that you were a Mormon polygamist at one point. I know. Yeah. I've got that in my lineage. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I'm part of the Jess, tribe. <laughs> I have to say that, like, thank you for being here. Thank you for bringing it. Thank you for going through the ups and downs that it took yeah. to get here. <laughs> yeah. um, because whatever process you went through, mm-hmm. you brought some fucking magic in this Magic. Well, you guys, are, you guys helped me deliver it um, for sure. You created like the safe space. Absolutely. So thank you for doing that and allowing me to like express freely and for just relating and connecting. I've done podcasts before where I'm like the muse and I'm the person with information and it, there isn't this sort of like back and forth of relating, which I think is really important in a podcast. When you're, when people are listening, it's nice to listen to people that are vibing and resonating versus like the person with the information. And this is like how I like to relate. I'm here to learn too. And you guys have, yeah, I've, I've, I've connected deep more deeply with each of you and understanding each of your journeys. And that's helped me show up. So thank you. Oh my God. I love you both so much. <laughs> I wish you were here with us. I'm feeling the most FOMO right now. Like looking at you oh, two well, side by side. I'm like, I wish I was there in LA right now. Virtual well, hug. Sending le- quantum Reiki. Quantum. Quantum, I'll take it. I'll tell you what I can get. Yeah. I don't do it when I'm. <laughs> <under the influence. laughs> All right. All right, buddy. Love you.